Okay, so we are going to be talking about the double life of Veronique on this episode. But before we get into the official welcome and hello, we wanted to open with a plug for another one of the wonderful shows that was previously on the 25th frame with us. This is a new show, so it, it premiered pretty recently, and uh, it's a pretty great show. It's the Criterion Channel Surfing Show. Yeah, that's a, it uh, has now moved over to the Criterion Cast Network. Just like the Criterion Channel, Josh is uh, curating a selection of uh, topics to discuss uh, each week about a uh, about the channel and about how to access the channel stats on the channel everything to do with criterion and the criterion channel it's an awesome show very informative and uh it's a total self-promotion because matt appears on it regularly <laughs> yeah he has impeccable taste in um regular contributors i think would you say would, would that be fair to say i would say that is uh, fair he gets a <laughs> fantastic group of people who are very criterion minded and also occasionally a uh, a special guest that uh that is very much into the idea of curating a channel um the ovid episode is one that stands out yes. most recently yeah that was a great episode and i i highly recommend this show for anybody that listens to this show but also that is interested in the criterion channel even if you don't subscribe i think it's a really interesting insight into what is going on on the channel and my guess is after the first episode of listening to it you will be a subscriber anyway so definitely check it out so that's the criterion channel surfing podcast on the criterion cast network should we do the show now well okay let's do our show all right Hello and welcome to the complete Shushtaf Kishlovsky. This is episode 15. We are out of the Decalogue weeds and into the final run of Kishlovsky's last four films, uh, probably the work that he's most famous for outside of the Decalogue. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the double life of Veronique. I'm Matt Gasteyer, and I'm here, as usual, with my co-host, Travis Trudell. How are you, Travis? I'm doing well. How's it going, Matt? It's going pretty well. I'm uh, excited to... I, I loved talking about the Decalogue, but I'm excited to uh, move on to something that's a little different uh, and, and that we can um, you know stretch our legs on a little bit. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to being able to talk in a... Uh narrative function that isn't yes, a part of a 10-part whole yeah <laughs> <laughs> as close as this is conceived as you know right um yeah and uh we have a couple of guests today the first time we've had two guests uh and they uh they're dave eaves and becky deanna uh, how are you today i'm going to start with becky because you've never been on the show before how are you I'm good. I'm good. I had some tech issues this morning, but other than that, I'm really good. I'm really honored that you asked me to be on your podcast. Well, I love hearing you talk about uh, Ingmar Bergman. And um, as we were talking about earlier, uh, before the show started recording, I think there's a, a little bit of a connection here between this film and uh, Persona that, that we'll get into. But I'm also excited to uh, talk Kieślowski with you. Yeah. 
And uh, coming back after uh, a uh, brief respite after our Barry Lyndon discussion from there season one. There was a season one. hiatus. Yes. Yeah. Well, nobody was on that that season, <laughs> so sh- you shouldn't feel too bad, Dave. We, That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's Dave Eves. Hello. Hello. Dave. How are uh, you, Matt? I'm I'm very I'm swell, Matt and Travis. Thank you for having me. I do have a question, Matt. When you watch a movie, Travis, do you feel it? <laughs> I, I think he he gets hurt by the movie and then i realize that i shouldn't uh, be hurt by this movie and I, I choose to watch something else what happens is when i'm done with the movie i walk outside i put my hand on a tree and it's connected to uh, a tree that travis has on his property and so he can feel how i felt about the movie yeah it's, it's usually really while i'm crying and having sex so it's all <laughs> it all works out for everyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> We will definitely get to that scene. Yikes. Uh, okay, so <laughs> um, the first thing we do uh, around these parts is uh, ask our, our esteemed guests about their uh, relationship with uh, Kieślowski's films, how you came to them, and uh, kind of how your opinion of them has evolved uh, as you've been watching them. And Becky, I, I know you have a pretty short answer to this in terms of uh, temporal ev- evolution. Um, so, so if you could uh, just give give everybody uh, listening a little update on your Kishlovsky experience over the past uh, couple weeks. A couple weeks, yeah. So I got introduced to Kislowski because of you two, actually, <laughs> because you've asked me to be on this podcast. <laughs> Kislowski's been uh, been peripherally. I mean, I've known about him and been on a list of a director that I wanted to delve into for over 20 years. And the Three Colors trilogy was obviously you couldn't avoid knowing about that. And that uh, those those three films released when I was in high school, um, which when I was in high school, I wasn't super all in to see, you know, these films set in French by a Polish Polish director. But in college, that's when I started getting into Igmar Bergman. And I plowed through his whole filmography. And I'm sort of that's sort of what um, the director that I've been obsessed with, he's kind of like, I can't believe you guys did a whole season on Kislowski and are going through his whole films. I would love to do that with Bergman, but it probably would take like years. But w- Dave and I have tried to do it a little bit with, uh, we've we've covered, I don't know, I think like maybe 12 of his films together um, if, or if, more. If not more, probably more. If by not now. more, we probably yeah. have done more. And, and then I've also covered quite a few of his films for Film Baby Film and some other podcasts. But uh, I know that you guys came to me because... You wanted to see, we we're going to discuss sort of the parallels between Ingmar Bergman's persona and Kieslowski. Um, but it was a great opportunity for me to finally have an you know, excuse to dive into his work because he's been a blind spot of mine for so long. So I watched The Double Life of Veronique and I loved it. I saw it three times. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I uh, plowed through the Three Colors trilogy all within the last two weeks and just uh, really love that whole experience. I think he's amazing. He's definitely not the director that I would call like my guy. Um, yeah. And there's a few reasons probably why. Um, although I think I, I think um, I think that he I think he parallels more Bergman in like Red, and then that's sort of my favorite of his films that I've seen. Um, probably because there's a lot more dialogue. And but what I love about Kieslowski of of the limited films that I've seen, but you know four key films, is um, he, does, he definitely leaves it up to you to interpret a lot of things. And um, I love the, how, he, how he frames things and how, the filmmaking techniques and music that he uses. Um, but especially in a film like Blue or even with Double Life of Veronique, a lot of it is up to 
the viewer to sort of figure out what they think, which is similar to Ingmar Bergman's persona and, and, and it's very dreamlike as well. But uh, I, I definitely love uh, to have more, I like to, I really like to see dialogue driven films and, and really get a lot to know about the characters and have them have deep conversations. And um, mm. what I was just talking to a friend of mine about who had seen all, who's been a big Kieslowski fan about when I saw blue and he was telling me um, that's his favorite Kieslowski film. And I said, Oh, I really wish they would have shown like just one shot of the little girl or like some, like her face or something. I feel like I needed that to get more invested. Like it's so tra devastating that she lost her daughter and her uh, husband obviously I have a little girl that's five and I have a husband and I get that but I just want it really to be invested in like one sort of flashback and he's like oh Kislowski would never do that and I said yeah I get that and I know that but it's like I know it's sort of manipulative but I like needed it so that's why it's like I think but I think that's so amazing about that's how he is and he really leaves it up to the viewer and it's amazing but um I think as uh what I'm drawn to I sort of I sort of need that I need a little bit more uh, emotional investment and some just a little bit more, and that's why I think that even though I love Zislawski is is fascinating, and I can't wait to to go through the Decalogue and then listen to all your epi episodes. Uh, he, I don't know if he's like my guy, and I also. Yeah. It even more so realized I was telling my friend the other day, well, now I understand even more why Ingmar Bergman's my guy because he gives me everything that I possibly could ever need. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting that you bring up the the dialogue driven element because I, that is definitely something that I want to talk about um, this movie in contrast with uh, with Persona in particular. Um, I think I think probably you, you may respond to the Decalogue. Would, would you agree with that, Travis? I mean, I think that there's a little oh, bit more of that aspect of it. Yeah, I was definitely gonna. I was definitely gonna say if you want to go from here to something else, do the Decalogue because there's lots of like moral and spiritual quandaries in which they discuss yeah. and work things out while also being in these like you know moods and modes that is uh, very uh, very hard sometimes to watch or very uh, tense and it's definitely it's definitely more more in terms of the things that you're talking about when you say why you like uh, Bergman. Um, all right. Well, Dave, you're up. What do you think? Oh, all right. So my first exposure to his work, let's see if I can say it the correct Polish way like you guys do. Kieślowski? Is that that right? That close? You did the first half well. Okay. I'll get close. I, I'll, I'll, I think you should just go with it, Dave. Just go with it. Kieślowski. You you. <laughs> K. Yeah, I didn't mean. I probably butchered his name. <laughs> so um, back in college when I was in film school, I forget what year this was or how old I was. But uh, one of my roommates, when I was living with a lot of other film students, said, hey, check out these movies. Uh, there are three movies about France by this Polish guy, uh, Blue, White, and Red. You should watch them tonight. And I said, sure, buddy, I'll get right on that. And ignored him completely. And then slowly but surely, <laughs> I, I just found myself, more and more people were mentioning these movies. It was one of those kind of weird phenomenons where the second you've heard of it, suddenly it's almost like the zeitgeist catches mm. back up with you. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I should have watched those movies. Now I don't have a chance to. So when Criterion finally started putting out, uh, and I'm pretty sure they had put out Double Life of Veronique long before they had put out Three Colors, I jumped on it immediately, watched those films, was enamored by them, needed to see more. Obviously, Double Life of Veronique was part of that. I've watched tons of his films on the Criterion channel. Uh, obviously, the Decalogue. I'm pretty sure by this point I've seen 
almost all of his narrative films. I've not checked out his early documentary works. I think the big blind spot now is The Scar, which is uh, getting a Blu-ray release, Region B Blu-ray release from Arrow. But um, he's really been a filmmaker that that's, I, I, I really can connect with, even though Becky and I both obviously love Bergman. I kind of like the aspect of Kislowski, where he's not as dialogue-driven. It is a little bit more of that internal turmoil, even if it's not being outwardly expressed. I, I love particularly the way that he moves his camera around. And I know this is not the actual case with him. It almost feels as though he's left nothing on the cutting room floor, as if he knows exactly when to start the camera and exactly when to end it. But, of course, he's notorious at, like, re-cutting his movies and trying to find new ways of reimagining them in the cutting room floor. It doesn't feel that way. It feels almost as if it's driven by a higher power, that this is the film, this is the only way it could have been, this is the only way that it could have panned out. And I, I don't know, I find that so interesting and so captivating uh, to the point that I, I probably binge the Decalogue as quickly as one could uh, without doing it all in one sitting. But uh, no, he's a filmmaker that I would, that I have not rewatched many of his films yet, but definitely need to because I know that I'm going to find the experience even more rewarding on the second watch uh, and the third watch, just like I did with uh, Veronique uh, just preparing for this episode this week. Yeah, that's actually um, the point that you make. We should also um, make the the news announcement here. The uh, Arrow Arrow Academy has announced that they are releasing um, his first four theatrical features in a big box set in the UK. That will be uh, the Scar, Camera Buff, Blind Chance, and No End. Um, only one of those is available on Blu-ray in the US or on DVD. Um, which is uh, Blind Chance. The other three have never been put out in HD, so this is going to be uh, a pretty great set. And this will complete, uh, if you if you were lucky enough to get your hands on the Arrow uh, box set of Decalogue that included all of his TV films, this will uh, mean that, that all of his work, uh, his feature work anyway, is, is now uh, available on Blu-ray, which is uh, pretty big news. And... Um, we, we seem to do this a lot, Travis. We did it with um, Mikey and Nikki uh, oh, yeah. being announced by Criterion in the middle of our uh, Elaine May uh, our po- season. Our, our podcasts encourage Elaine May to make a new feature film. Like that's, <laughs> yes, that uh, too. We're, we're yeah. life-changing. We're, we're life-changing. That's what we are. <laughs> she, yeah, she, she, she wrote us a, a very nice thank you note about that. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Um, no, so yeah, so that that is very exciting. Um and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that box. Um, but for now, um, we're going to talk about The Double Life of Veronique. Uh, Travis, uh, do you want to set up this movie? What what was going on? Was there anything happening in Poland in between Decalogue being made and The Double Life of Veronique being made? Not much, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing to concern ourselves with. Uh, it was the fall of... All the all the communism, fall the fall of communism in there. The the uh, everything changed. The world was changing, and so wasn't their country. And because of that massive change, uh, the structure in which the state funded movies uh, was upended, and Kishlowski found himself without a really a home. And so he decided to use that opportunity to finally uh, broaden out and. Uh, go make a, a movie uh, in Europe proper as opposed to uh, back in Poland. 
Um, but this is a film that is uh, it's it's Polish financed, French financed, and Norwegian financed. Uh, I did not know that really, uh, and you wouldn't ex- expect it watching the film. But some of the money and finance came from Norway as well. So, um, so yeah, he he's using this opportunity to really step outside of. Um, it's almost like when you finally leave high school and you go to college and you decide you're going to make yourself into kind of a bit of a different person and uh, yeah. kind of leave some of your trappings behind you, you know, so people don't call you like Sneezy Dave anymore because you're like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to college and I'm going to I'm going to be awesome, Dave, the guy who doesn't sneeze. Um, and, hey, I don't uh, remember sneezing that much in high school or high school being communist. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's uh, he, he's he's making the effort to. Uh, move into a more uh, uh, less narrative and more uh, emotional uh, filmmaking side. I think the basic background concept of this film was that he had this idea um, spun out of the the character Ola from episode 9 of uh, the Decalogue. This uh, girl with a heart condition who wants to be who who's Wants to be a singer. Her parents want to be a singer, but uh, the singing uh, will put too much strain on her. Um, and so, he, with that in mind, and this idea of uh, having these people be connected uh, across uh, different uh, different places, which also resonates with him moving away from Poland, but also having a part of him still stuck back there. Um, it kind of it worked out well. And so, yeah, and so he uh, went into production of The Double Life of Veronique. At the time, it was called The Choir Girl, which I guess right. was not very good name, and he didn't like it. He doesn't even he, like well, The Double Life of Veronique either. Yeah, he said he said that The, the Choir Girl uh, made it, he was worried that, that people in France would say, oh, it's another Catholic movie from Poland. <laughs> uh, and there were... Uh, a number of other uh, names that they came up with. And he said that he even had like a small contest where he was going to give a prize to uh, anybody who could come up with a title for the film uh, from the crew and and his friends. Uh, And finally they settled on this title, but they didn't actually uh, like the title. I I do think it is interesting, however, that the movie was called the double life of uh, Veronica in Poland. So uh, we got in the U.S. the French name, but the movie still does essentially have two different names uh, for for each of its uh, characters. It's a good thing they didn't let the internet decide or it'd be movie McMovie face. Oh my God! Yeah, no. If it, they announced that it was going to be the double life of uh, Veronica, but then Twitter was in uproar, and so they went back into production to change it to uh, the double life of Veronique. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, Becky, you've you've mentioned uh, briefly uh, that you've you watched this movie three times, which is probably a good sign, um, and you you still c- uh, agreed to be on this show. So I figured <laughs> you couldn't have hated it that much. Um, what what are your kind of initial thoughts on on this movie? Oh, I think it's wonderful. Um, and <clears throat> I just want to make to comment earlier uh, when I mentioned that he's not really my guy. I I, I mean just more 
so realizing that Bergman is, and it's just nice to to see different directors and and realize stuff like that. But um, I I think he's wonderful, and like I said, I can't wait to see his other films. Um, I feel like maybe your listeners are like, why do they ask her on the show if she's only seen one? But you guys didn't know that. And what I loved about it was, and I felt like it was justified uh, because of my Bergman background, and that we were talking about Persona. So um, I loved uh, this film. I thought it was wonderful. It was. It's definitely a film that is more rewarding. I think after multiple viewings, um, I just I thought it was fascinating, and I I loved all the parallels between the two characters, and all the stuff with like the shoelaces and I mean like with the the thread and the ball and all of that. And when I saw it again, it was just it's just you know you obviously catch so much more the second time. Um, and then even the third time, I thought it was just uh, just amazing. I, I couldn't believe that I saw it three times. It, it was, but again, I just think every time it just got more rewarding. I think it's uh, really a hypnotic film, and I thought the score was very haunting and just absolutely beautiful. And um, and I don't know how to say her name is is it Irene Jacob or mm-hmm. I don't know how you say her name, yeah. but um, I'm gonna say she, Irene Jacob. I don't care. Oh, Jacob. I'm saying okay, that's what I'm say saying. No, it's definitely wrong, but I'm I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like Dave. Remember when we had our whole like how to say that Fora? Is it Faro? Is it Pharaoh? Oh my God! Yeah, no. Oh, Fira. Fira? Yeah. yeah. So I just go Pharaoh, but you just cough halfway through. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I just think she is just a revelation. She is just has such an expressive face. There's so much she shows uh, without saying anything. She's just got a beautiful face and um, great eyes, and she seems very warm, and it comes across her warmth. And uh, you see the difference in both characters. One seems very you know, more understated once he's more optimistic, full of life. And, and even, I think it was even more rewarding than when I went through the three colors and seeing her in red. Um, I just like, you know, was all in on her character in that film. And I just, that was obviously my favorite one. Um, because that's more, I think what I'm drawn to, um, in general, when I look at films, but I just think she was a tremendous. She's a tremendous talent, and I loved all his use of uh, of music throughout the film, and uh, it was it was amazing. And I'm so happy you guys asked me to be on the show because I I have a list of you know 40 films that I that I still need to plow through, and these have been on, and I just always I end up like let me just revisit Winter Light 60 more times. <laughs> and so I need to pull myself away from you know Bergman and and some other people that I'm interested in, in re-seeing and watch some of these other greats that I had a blind spot. So thank you for um, getting me to do that. I just I just thought this was this movie. I can't wait to own this film. Nice. That's always a good sign, right? Yeah, and I, I we all have those lists, so um, I'm I'm glad to hear we we helped you knock a couple of them off of yours. Um, Dave, what do you what do you think of the double life of Veronique? I, I I'm going to agree with everything Becky just said, and 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 add more. Um, I I think this film is incredibly uh, mystifying. It's the kind of thing that really pulls you in and just captures your intrigue. And I find it so interesting that this kind of concept could be done in such a simplistic way of, this is Veronica. She lives in Poland. This is Veronique. She lives in France. Veronica is poor. 
<laughs> Veronique is rich. If mm. they didn't do that, it's not. Yeah. And, and it's funny because um, Kislowski has explored that kind of narrative before with like Blind Chance, where it's just like, what can a small impact in your life, like or a, a small chance of missing a train, we're catching the train. What impact can that have later on in your life? This could have been the same kind of exploration of these two people. What if they were born in different countries, wherever their lives had been? But it's not that. It is about the connection mm. between those two people and this metaphysical, spiritual thing that exists between them that is ultimately so much harder to capture, almost seems completely unfilmable, yet it is somehow beautifully shown here. And it's like this underlying mystery where you're trying to figure out as a viewer what, what's really going on here, what's really going on between them, and you almost don't want it answered. It's it, it, You get so caught up in the beauty and the magic of it that almost any answer could be disappointing. And the movie never like, oh, you are both born on the same day of like uh, a supernova that is... Con-. No, they, it doesn't go that route. <laughs> it doesn't go the Hollywood science fiction route. Gemini man. Yeah. yeah it's a clone. <laughs> <laughs> Separated at birth. But uh, no, it, 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 it becomes so much deeper and really makes you kind of wonder is there true magic that's going on in your own world that we're just not seeing because our eyes aren't open to it that's a that's a lovely that's a lovely uh, take on it I, I i i like this i like this movie a lot um i think this is my i watched it twice before this podcast and i've watched it twice before so this is my fourth time but uh it is it is very it is a very beautiful thing to to participate in. Uh, the way that the story unfolds, uh, the information that uh, Kishlowski decides to uh, give to you and the information he withholds, uh, the way that he lingers on things that may seem at first blush to be uh, not important. And then later, as you realize that there's a visual echoes going on throughout the whole entire film of these types of things, they start to build and build and build. And you realize that this is, you know, this is very much a part of what this movie's about. Um, like, that's the kind of stuff that I, I find to be absolutely fascinating and something that I, I really, really appreciate. Um, there's some, you know, there are some, to me, there are some, there's some flaws going on in here. There's some unbalance in terms of some of the story, but for the most part, I find this uh, to be a, a wonderful expression of this European art house style that is really kind of excited a lot of filmmakers in the 90s. Um, I think there's a... There was a article I read by what was his name in one of the books. Uh, an article I read about oh, it was in the uh, it was in the Criterion uh, booklet. Uh, the guy who wrote the essay and it said something along the lines of, uh, "We had an opportunity for American independent cinema to take lessons from this movie and move forward with this style and this uh, this thought process." But at the same time, we had a uh, Pulp Fiction was released, and uh, America's decided right. to go with uh, that style as the thing to kind of emulate. And it was uh, it was kind of like the end of American cinema making this these types of. Uh, of movies and uh i found that to be absolutely fascinating uh to think of like what it would be like if you know 
if you know those movies are separated by a couple of years you know that same kind of uh, uh type of uh, what would happen and seeing how things play out differently just by by a few minutes a few days a few years separated these two films um what kind of movies and what kind of influences this movie could have had on uh, american audiences and, the, and and pulp fiction beat red for uh the palm door at Cannes uh in 1994 i uh i really enjoy this movie i hadn't seen it in quite a while and uh i was really struck just by how wildly different it is from what we have watched so far uh you kind of know this divide in his career between uh the early part of his career when he was relatively well known in poland but not uh by any means known on a international scale and the Decalogue and uh, the success that that brought to him and kind of what his filmmaking was like afterwards. Um, but seeing it in this chronological order was just really surprising. Um, I mean, the, the leap into Blind Chance was a little bit like that. It was the first time he used an original score in a very um, conscious way. And I think the first sort of five to, to ten minutes of that film where you are encountering the memories of the lead character um, before he gets into the story is probably the closest approximation to this film of anything that he made before Mm. but it's still so different and um, you know Preisner's score is so impactful and the filters are so striking and stylistic um, that it's it almost seems like it's a different filmmaker that's making this movie. I, I think if you had told me that it was a different filmmaker, I would not have been uh, surprised at all. Um, and the other thing is that I think primarily as a filmmaker, I think of Kishlovsky as a storyteller based on the movies that we've watched so far. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this, there's not really much of a story here. I mean, the the story of the Polish uh, section, it's like a girl uh, gets a uh, audition in a completely weird <laughs> and, and, and to me like super <laughs> annoying way. <laughs> like I'm trying to work in this. Lady I know, like shut here. up. Who's that yeah. annoying girl in the back? <laughs> yeah. well, wait, you at. let your friend you let your friend come in here and sing oh, while you're if, playing I, the piano if I was the piano player I'd be mortified <laughs> that she did that I oh know. my god you're gonna get me fired um but she gets the job and then she dies and that's the story of spoilers <laughs> and it's then... just enough of a story to keep you just like okay let's see where this is yeah. going yeah why not um <laughs> singing this seems like what she wants to do okay oh okay but now it we're has... going in a different direction well, well imagine has... if the movie had been called choir girl and like she's dead 30 minutes in it's like, Wait, what, what's the rest of this movie gonna be because at least now you know okay it's a double life so there must be something else going on she comes back to life it's gonna be a zombie movie we all know what's well, <laughs> what's happening next well you have you uh, do have that you do have that moment where she's in the plaza and it's the only thing that references that the fall of communism is happening around them and you she sees that moment that her double she sees her doppelganger right. And that that's the thing, like the movie is very is very interesting and beautiful to watch. It draws you in. There is no real story, but it's interesting. There's enough yeah. of 
character development or, or character creation in her performance that it's compelling and then that happens and it totally changes what the hell is going on in this movie it makes you go wait a second what like if yeah. they had a different name and it didn't have the leading double life part um it told it would it would have been very shocking to kind of come across that that yeah. portion but um, it defies it defies story at every step i mean oh the, completely the second the second section of this movie you would think is this woman discovering the photo that she took and trying to figure out who this woman was who looks exactly like her none of that happens um you know she doesn't discover it until the last five to ten minutes of the movie um and so it really is all about this feeling that that she has and it's this uh, you know it it, it, to me, in a lot of ways, this movie is very much going to be what you put into it is what you get out of it. Um, there, you you have to meet this movie on its own terms and um, identify with it personally in order for you to respond to what you're seeing because it's not a story that you're going to sit back and just take in what these characters are going through because there's there's no plot here it's not an a to b to c kind of a movie and um that's very different from from what came before it and i think in some ways uh for me it really works in that regard i think sometimes it can get a little cutesy which we'll get into but i think for the most part it's about this uh, experience of watching this movie and how much you can kind of relate to this feeling in your own life that you are not alone or that you're alone or um, they even just the feeling of having both of those things happen at the same time that you can feel this deep connection to humanity or to other people while at the same time feeling like nobody truly understands you I think is is a very powerful thing to think about for 90 minutes while these kind of beautiful images are are rolling in front of your eyes i'm 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 nodding i'm shaking my head like you can see (laughs) (laughs) yeah i totally agree i feel like because i'm who i am i poured like all after you know i think when you watch the film you're like oh i wonder why like the the part um where we see a veronique and she goes to that um she goes to this man and says she's no longer going to do yeah. uh, work with him anymore. When you first see the movie, you're like, well, what what was she even doing? Was she taking piano lessons? Was she singing? What It was confusing. And you don't really realize. And I think on multiple viewings, you, it, you know, what I poured into it. And there's so many, I feel like so many different interpretations of the film. But I like the interpretation of that these two women are so deeply connected that, like, in the beginning, uh, the Polish Veronique is, is, uh, she actually says lately, she feels like she's not alone in the world. Mm. Like somehow she realizes that there's, that she's connected to something, but doesn't quite know. And then I like how, then when we go to the French Veronique, um, you know, she wakes up and she's crying and she doesn't really, I mean, she's having sex and then she has this like, you know, just completely overwhelmed with emotion. But if you watch the, if you think of it, if like, oh my gosh, she somehow realized that something is missing from her life and that this person's gone, but she doesn't know why. And so that's, and then, then 
I think she's taking care of herself by going to the teacher and saying, hey, I don't want to sing anymore, not really, not knowing why she doesn't want to sing anymore. I think you realize that. And it's because, you know, the other one died because she right. sang and this person wants to live. And so that's not saying that's what this is about, but it's just more like, oh, wow, multiple viewings. It's so cool to think of it that way of like, oh, wow, she's she's that's why she's saying this, because she wants to she's choosing a life of not like I'm going to pursue this gift. And I, I love how that teacher, when he's he's so upset and the first time you're watching it, you're like, why is he so upset? Why is this like so important to him? And he says like, you're wasting your talent and you should be dragged to court. And you're like, why would he say something like that? But it's because she's so talented. She's such an amazing singer. And you only know this because of the first uh, singer, the first part of the film, if she has the same talent as the first, uh, the Polish Veronique, and you're like, no wonder he's like, this is a crime for you not to sing. The whole world needs to know that you're so talented. But when you're watching it, you're like, I don't understand why he's so upset and what is he even teaching her? And I just, I, I love that that connection throughout the film. And I love when she talks about um, uh, later that how she is talking to her dad about feeling like, that she there's somebody else out there for her and and so she now feels this connection and i liked how they were connected that way and i i just think it's i think it's so fascinating but then there's other things like you could think of it as that they're you could go sci-fi and be like oh they're actually the same person traveling back in time or you could think of it as oh they're if they see each other and they at their doubles and they actually see each other the whole world's going to disintegrate like there's just so many cool <laughs> ways to interpret the film and I, you know, I love the sci-fi bent of it because I'm a big sci-fi nerd, but, uh, I just, it's, 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 but it's all just how you interpret it. Just like with Bergman's persona, which we can get into later. It's just, you know, that there's not really a plot there of just two women, one talks and one doesn't, and one's taking care of each other and their personalities sort of merge, but there's a lot of parallels we can talk to, but, um, that's, I love the part about them being so connected and like sensory connected, like the fact that they both have this ball that you realize they both, one looks through the ball in the beginning and then you find the other ball in the purse. And then they have, they, the Polish one carries that string around her finger as like a sensory bit. And the other one sort of does it with a shoelace. Like, I'd like how they're just sensory, um, like somehow connected to someone. I think that that is really beautiful. So that's just, I obviously poured all of that into <laughs> when I watched it, what I perceived it to be. That's awesome. When, Go when, ahead, Dave. When, when I saw it multiple times, you know, I think what becomes far, far more evident as you continue watching it is the difference between the two characters, which I find very interesting because of the fact that they are so similar. There are significant changes. And, and I think it's, what's brilliant is that they are given from the get-go. The very first shot of the movie is an upside-down view of a Polish city looking up at the clouds. And that's the Polish Veronica, who seems a lot more carefree, a lot more um, optimistic, a lot more like her head's in the clouds, whereas Veronica, the French, her mother is telling her to look at a leaf. She was a little bit more grounded, a little bit more within the earth and a little bit more aware of her surroundings. And it goes down to the fact that Veronique seems like knows that she's aware of her heart condition, whereas Veronica did not, despite the fact that clearly uh, health issues run in her family. We learned that from her aunt, that, <laughs> that the women in their family tend to die when they seem like they're in perfect health. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas v Veronica, she it, she's going to the doctor. I don't think she just went to the doctor because of this weird connection that she's somehow thinking, oh, maybe I should get myself checked out. 
she could have been. But in my mind, at least in viewing it, it's almost like she's known about this. She's been trying to take care of herself. And probably through this connection, knowing that this piece of her is left, without knowing exactly why, she realizes, I can't sing anymore. Um, the French Veronique seems like she has more of a profession in life, uh, being a music teacher. But they're both drawn to the same music, which is so interesting. Well, the music the music is the is uh, Van den Budenmeyer, which is a made up uh, Dutch composer. Um, the reoccurring theme in in Kislovsky's work, which I yes. did not realize because I never viewed the movies in an order in which that name would have ever uh, stuck out to right. me. So, so learn so reading more about this, like one, it's kind of a shock to learn, like oh, that isn't actually music from the from the eighteenth century, and two, that it's appeared at least that composer has appeared multiple times, and the score in this film is amazing it's, it's amazing. beautiful it is incredible music. yeah i i think it's probably the best part of the movie honestly i think yeah. it's uh and and i think it, the the movie would fall apart with without uh, a, a strong score but yeah. i think part of the reason for that is that it was constructed from the ground up with the score in mind he began writing and finished this score before they filmed the movie so kishlovsky yeah. had this uh in his mind before uh, finishing the film and the first I mean yeah the first appearance of this composer was in that same Decalogue 9 where this character comes from and uh, he's referenced uh, in every one of the three colors as well um, Kishlovsky has said lots of funny stories that I'm not sure are actually true like that um, scholars contacted him asking uh, for in more information on Vanden Budenmeyer <laughs> or their or encyclopedia yeah, or that a lawyer uh, sent him a cease and desist for using his music. Uh, which I, I, I want to believe even, that that is that true. That doesn't even make sense. Um, but it's great. It's a great story. Um, so, yeah, so I, 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 I do really love that part of it. Um, to both of your points about talking about um, her heart condition, you know, I, I feel like she went to the doctor because of this feeling that she had. Um, but I think, and of course, none of these have real concrete answers but i'm curious if you what you guys think about the concept that the polish uh veronica dies in order to allow the french uh veronique to live that that this this connection that they have is is essentially created so that uh veronique can move forward and survive and you know not not have a heart attack essentially I think your theory holds water. Um, I, I don't know. I, I almost have to go back to the concept that like there could probably only be one, not to not to be like all Highlander, but yeah. I, I think there's a big thing in this idea of the doppelganger. It's part of the zeitgeist that traditionally seeing your doppelganger is a harbinger of death. That once you see your double, you are supposed to die. And I don't know if it's an act of self-sacrifice, even in a more universal sense, but I think that had the one not, then they both, or then one was bound to have. It doesn't matter what order, but it was eventually going to happen. And with that intuition, if if neither Veronique or Veronica had been so intuitive towards themselves, they probably both would be gone. Mm. Wow. I, I love I love that, Dave, because I the whole thing about reading, about, like the, how that... I, the sci-fi theory that they see each other, the world ends, but I like that one of them, <laughs> but I like that one of them dies because they see it, but not right way. That's really cool. Um, I, I think that's a really romantic way to look at things. Um, 
when you when you guys talk about uh, that maybe one sacrificed themselves so the other could live, that's really romantic. Uh, I think that's that's really an amazing way to look at it. I just I like the fact that they just um, are so connected that you know, like they sort of felt, I feel like they sort of realized that they existed, like the Polish one realized that, that the French one existed before the other one did. And the fact mm. that she said in the beginning that she felt like she all of a sudden felt like she wasn't alone. And then the, and then I think when she, the French one lost the connection with the Polish one, I, th I think that's maybe when she realized that, um, uh, that the other one existed and then real, and then somehow intuitively knew I'm not supposed to be doing the singing and I don't know why, but this is why. And I think uh, one of the things I think about is in, when she does talk to her dad and she says recently she felt she was, that she was alone because someone left her life, but she didn't know why. And so it goes back to that scene where she's crying when you first see her, because she, she all of a sudden feels like she lost someone important to her, but doesn't know who it is and she felt alone before that and then i don't know it's it's really i think that that's how that's how i kind of interpret it but again and there's so many different interpretations and i and i love the, the romantic interpretation that one gave up her life so the other one could live is really cool i really think it's beautiful that they both discover each other in the same moment but not at the same time mm. it it like i i think if it had gone any other way yeah, exactly. But it's still that same instant in time captured, just seen differently. It's not like she found a newspaper of like, uh, talented Polish singer dies and she finds that later. It's still within that same moment. I think there's something beautiful about that. And I also think what, what creates a lot of intrigue in the second half of this film, quick uh, tangent I'm going to go on here, that I do think it's very interesting that it's not two equal halves. The Polish half is only half an hour versus the French half, yeah. which makes up a full hour. I think it being broken out like that adds some intrigue to it. But I think the fact that Veronica, Veronique feels this connection, kind of feels this loss, she seems like she's trying to fill that void with romantic love versus this mystical connecting tissue across the universe with this other person. And I think that she continues to follow these clues with, with the, the puppeteer guy, which, which I think is a very interesting little uh, mystery that starts happening. Uh, but it makes you, at least it made me think, oh, are these clues from the puppeteer or are these clues from uh, the, the ghost, so to speak, of Veronica, Veronica trying to save her? But ultimately, it's not the ghost. It is all of these, these breadcrumbs left by this puppeteer that just was trying to see, like, oh, I wanted to see if I could manipulate a woman into having a date with me. You know, she also says, Veronique, at the end, she tells the puppeteer, like, all my life I felt like I was here and somewhere else at the same time. So she, so somehow she, and I mean, that could be the whole going back in time thing, but also feeling like she was two people or that she was co-connected to the other person. The other interesting theory is that this dude this puppeteer is somehow controlling the two of them. And it's actually some weird godlike thing where he's actually controlling the both of them. Well, well he's certainly a stand in for the director, right? Yeah. I mean, like the, the, the whole idea, I mean, the story, uh, it kind of fell together, I guess, cause the, this guy, Bruce Schwartz, who was the marionette, uh, person who's actually controlling the marionette in the performance. Um, he, he just happened to say, Oh, I have a ballerina. Um, and then, and I have a butterfly. Uh, so they, you know, Kishlowski says that it was kind of a uh, chance, but it does seem like a perfect metaphor for what's happening in the movie, right? This, this woman that is an artist, 
sacrifices her life for the art and then is reborn as uh, as the butterfly in the second uh, second two thirds of the movie. Did anyone um, notice that in the scene immediately after, like, she's seen the puppeteer and all that stuff? Oh, no, she encounters him on the road or something. But when she's sleeping in her bed, there's, like, moonlight or streetlight pouring in through her window. And it's hitting, like, the lace of her curtains. And it's almost forming that same kind of butterfly wing pattern on her back, which mm-hmm. I thought was awesome. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he really is, um, I mean... He's created this char- this character in terms of being the uh, the director and and I think that the her realization in her relationship with the uh, with the the puppeteer is uh, reflective to me of Kishlowski's evolving relationship with film the idea that he doesn't want to make documentaries because he feels like uh, as he tries to get closer and closer to a person and understand more of their intimate inner life he is exploiting them and so he feels like he can only truly explore humanity through fiction and here's this puppeteer who is creating this story he essentially steals this woman's uh, life story twice by creating this uh, trail of breadcrumbs that she comes upon to find out that it was only a, a, a game for his book and then in the final scene between them has stolen the story of the movie and the story of her life with these two women for his um his marionettes so yeah he's the uh, worst yeah <laughs> well he's pretty I, I think he's worse than even Kislowski's trying to make him out to be well i mean like, like the set i mean uh, we'll just jump ahead here i mean the this like i know when my wife is sobbing uncontrollably it's definitely sexy time like yeah, that's when let's it's, go you know let's get down to the the business i mean what what <laughs> what even is that scene like how is that even i don't right? know how is it like yeah let's uh oh does this mean let's uh get intimate yeah yeah like oh you've He's... discovered this person that looks exactly like you and you've just started sobbing uncontrollably i guess oh, it's time for on top sex. Of you. <laughs> you look beautiful when you cry i just can't control myself and, but it's in that thing that's it's weird is that that it's it's not something uh, specific to Kishlowski. So many movies have had that trope of yeah. the girl's sad, so the guy does the only thing they know is to have sex with her, which is such a – the only movie I, I've seen it done in a way that made sense to me was, I think, uh, High Fidelity uh, because uh, Joan, uh, John Cusack's girlfriend, whose father just died, comes to him oh, and says, yeah. I, I just want to feel something else. And then they do it, and it's, well, at least she's it's, initiating. Well, the she's situation. initiating. I know. Yeah. And the, yeah. Like this situation, it feels so, so wrong. <laughs> like I don't like it at all. He is a horrible yeah. person. Yeah, it, it does is. not it's help that she then looks looks at the photo of her double, and it turns into like a, a metaphorical threesome. In which yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's and what's see. I guess, and that's one of the things that I find problematic for myself is that. If the theory stands that this this woman died, so if if Polish is Veronica died, so Veronique could live, what is she living for? Yeah, it's not she, a doesn't ve- see- she doesn't pursue her art, which at least this woman like gave everything for something beautiful and like uh, momentary that you know stunned everyone. Versus Veronique, who's now just doldrums of teaching kids how to play violin and she doesn't seem happy and she follows this dude who's emotionally and physically manipulating everything she does and 
You yeah, know? but she's going to get puppeteer money now. <laughs> well, well I, did. I mean, she has her whole life ahead of her, too. Yes. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a, it's a growing it's, you know, obviously, as you know, when you're dating in your early life and you meet a lot of. <laughs> crappy people because i've done it and that you, know, you have a lot to of call you up and breathe heavily yeah it doesn't mean that's it and that's over You're, no it's true yeah and you learn a lot from that too so you know i think she's short choosing this quiet life and to me i didn't see it that she was just like teaching i thought she found rewarding but maybe she doesn't maybe you, you guys don't perceive it that way but it's sort of like a it's a it's a life it's a rewarding life for her she's a teacher but obviously that's her passion is singing and then I think she's so excited about meeting this guy he's so he's so exciting and like the the clues and everything sound so romantic and then it's just so crushing and I think everyone's been there well I've been there um when you you really have all these expectations that you're going to meet this person or have this amazing date yeah. and then you, it's all crushed in one second when she says why did you choose me and he's like I don't, I don't know like that's just like f you and I felt so bad for her and so I'm glad she got up and left but he pursues her still I think she realizes when he did that whole story and she leaves him I mean maybe she's going back to her dad she has an amazing relationship with her father uh, maybe she'll learn from this relationship and end up meeting the love of her life but I just think the quiet side is of, of life is great too um, and may, maybe I like to think of uh, what let's think let's think about the future that's not on there it's not like she dies though but maybe she yeah. will learn from this and meet the love of her life that's how romantic I am about well, stuff. Well I guess I don't know I, I don't know if the movie if that's if, like if if your question Travis is like a failure of the movie or, or just another one of the open-ended questions that the movie asks you know what well, I mean like what yeah I think I think but I was going to draw it back to uh, some of his earlier, way earlier themes, which was people who ex ex uh, trying to strive for some sort of greatness that end up retiring to a life of quiet, uh, yeah. of just quiet, you know, where Definitely. they're doing just normal things and not being a part of the greater structure of things. Yeah, uh, I can That happens in the the scar and camera the calm, the camera buff, the calm. Like they all have yeah. those moments where the person finally says, "Nah." And I'm just gonna have a kid and watch TV, and that's 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 what I want in life. Like I just want to have normalcy, and so it's almost like that. You know, she has lived. You know, the careless uh, Veronica has lived that life, so the more grounded Veronique can not have to uh, do that and just have yeah. the normal part of their life. Uh, and Blind Chance has that same kind of motive as well. You know this you don't have to achieve things to have a good quality of life. It's uh, it's interesting. Usually we're so used to being told all the time to uh, achieve your dreams and don't stop until you've reached them. Yeah. And he, he's, he's such a, he's such a realist. He's like, you don't have to, you can just be happy. You can commune with nature, make some sturdy chairs and just <laughs> be happy. Wait, isn't, isn't this reflective? Isn't that Koslowski's own life? Like, didn't he, pursue his art and then he had that heart attack and so he did want to retire to have a peaceful life but then he ended up dying anyway from botched yeah, heart surgery that's true yeah so I, think, life, I feel it was like he chose chance yeah it's sad because he chose the voc he chose the quiet life and to retire finally after making these masterpieces and then he ended up dying anyway it was still fate for him to yeah, die. yeah. there's some dude in uh, queens named like christopher kislow <laughs> that's uh living a very boring life right now <laughs> I mean, I, I think the other the other reading of that concept, of, you know, the coming home and and 
and Veronica dying. I put it off as long as I could in this episode, but I do really want to talk about the political reading of this film because I think uh, this was uh, apparently the reading that Polish critics uh, felt was sort of the the main thrust of the movie. I don't think it is the definitive reading any more than any of the other readings of the movie. I think it, the movie is intentionally open-ended, but the, the riot scene uh, that Travis mentioned earlier, the scene of the statue being hauled through the streets at the beginning as uh, Veronica is walking home, um, to me, this film could could easily be a stand-in for the fall of communism for the idea that there is a West and East in Europe and that um, in this moment uh, where the East, you know, if you want to argue that communism was this attempt to achieve unity for workers or how, however you want to approach kind of this, this grand experiment that ended up, um, you know, it may have killed millions of people and, and some other really horrible things, but... But uh, who hasn't? It, yeah, <laughs> they were trying. Um, but, you know, it, it, this, was, this was the end of that experiment. And uh, it's this feeling of connection and reunification that happens through the end of that experiment that um, creates this uh, opportunity for Veronique, who not only, I think, stands in for the West, but stands in for the modern Europe, in order to uh, move forward and to live this grounded life, the live live this life where you are, uh, we we are all connected, and we can all come home essentially, which is, you know, what Kishovsky has said. That ending is it's her returning home. Um, do you guys think that that this was intentional, or do you think that sort of similar to the um, the puppeteer that? Um, Kishovsky again was just sort of dropping these breadcrumbs in here for whoever wanted to read this as a political film to uh, to eat up uh, along the way. Well, if you if you read any of his articles, he doesn't he doesn't try to do any of that as so he says. Um, right. I but I definitely I definitely I have I did not think about it in those terms. So that's that's a fantastic take. Uh, that idea that the West. One is thing. Dying. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But no, go the ahead. other thing I wanted to add is that the the opening uh, with the two girls is uh, set in 1968, which doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. It was a major no, political yeah. year for Poland and France. Go ahead. Sorry, that was no, just no. the other point I forgot to throw in there. No, I think that's that's a fantastic reading of it. I was never really thinking of that. I think I was the bent that I was focusing on was always the spiritual aspect of it all. Um, this idea of a soul and this, uh, what yeah. is a soul, but a combination of, of two lives kind of like, you know, we have this body and this soul. So it's two people and how, you know, one is free and one is kind of earthbound. And, you know, I always, I was looking at more in that, but this uh, political aspect is absolutely fascinating. It's something I would like to, uh, watch again and kind of uh, look at it in those terms because I think that that makes just as much sense as anything else as we as we've known through watching his movies and talking about them this whole season when his politics works the strongest is when he's not trying to be political and I think that's this interpretation makes it so uh, makes it so universal in that in that sense that that is a very very capable reading of what's going on 
I, I want to say it's wrong, but but I'm having a hard time, <laughs> especially with the 68 thing. Like, I looked up what year Irene Jacob was born. She's born in 66. It would make a lot more sense for that to take place in 69, but clearly he chose 68 inst- instead. And the other thing that's kind of jumping out to me, um, uh, Veronique, she is in Poland by chance because she's taking a tour of, yeah. what was it, uh, Czechoslovakia, is it Budapest and Poland? Mm-hmm. So three countries, I, I, I honestly, I'm just jumping to the conclusion because I know that Czechoslovakia obviously dabbled in communism and uh, didn't didn't catch. Um, Budapest, I, that's also on the other side of the Iron Oh, Park, yeah, no, right? Czechoslovakia was as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, and obviously Czech Republic, Slovakia, all that stuff. So it's three countries that obviously were changed by this and this idea of Europe kind of traveling through them towards the end I think lends credence to it. Kind of this idea of westernism. Oh, I'm going to take a tour through these countries during this right. this time of tumultuousness. Um, I, I do think that the film is on a higher level, far more concerned with the spiritualistic level. And I almost want to say against it that the character Veronica seems so utterly disinterested in the politics going on around her that that almost could be a communication of just like, I know what you're thinking, but it doesn't matter. She doesn't care about this. I don't care either. But mm-hmm. there's too many breadcrumbs alongside it that also might be like, or do I? <laughs> yeah, well, well, I always, I do think she, you know, it's it's a, it's the personal, it's still the personal intimate experience of living through this moment in history that he's concerning himself with. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, it, it, this movie isn't a metaphor for the, for the, um, the, the move, move towards democracy in Poland or yeah. any sort of like, you know, trade deal that was taking place <laughs> at the time between Poland and France. He's, he's definitely not interested in that aspect of it. Um, so, so I think even if you look at this movie, uh, and, and similarly, if you look at this movie from a religious perspective, you know, this is, this movie isn't about, uh, the reign of Pope John Paul II. It's, it, it, it might be Catholic in a way, or it might be Christian in a way, or it might be, have a larger spiritual connotation, but it's not directly related to the specifics of the politics of either one of those, uh, aspects of life it, it's very much still focused on the internal and the personal experience and i think it's also something to be said that that's like you said it was the polish reading it's not that uh um yeah. surprising that the polish reading who is go yeah. like poland who is going through this political i don't want to say turmoil but huge change would obviously look for that in a film that leaves so many unanswered questions and so many uh little rocks to overturn and kind of just try to find and put your own reading on it and i I think it is intentionally designed in a way that you can add your own personal outlook to it so it's not wrong it's not what i was thinking when i was seeing it though but again i'm not the polish dave I'm the American day. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's the thing with uh, with the Polish critics that Kishlowski always had a problem with is they wanted him to be a voice of political change, yeah. and he didn't want to do that. So they tore apart all of his movies because they were not overtly political like so many of his contemporaries were, and that became a big sticking point. And you know, it was, just became an interesting thing that it's almost like he he turned away from that completely. I mean, and this is just of one of 20 
cuts of this film you know he this could have been a completely different interpretation and one you know the one where he went straight 50 50 where the veronica's story taking up half the movie and veronique's taking the other half or the entwined cut of the film in which you know everything is unfolding in equal time it's a it's very interesting that he it took him so long and so much work to come up with this cut that he ultimately mm. was the happiest with because um, he's working with an editor or the first time he's worked with an editor of this this editor and he was working with this editor through an interpreter um, yeah. so that's got to be frustrating make 20 cuts of this movie mm. also not speaking in your you know your native language to someone or a shared language you know the editor never didn't speak English which he was hoping he could communicate that way with but it's a uh, yeah. It's a uh, it's fascinating. Uh, that's one of the things I've been really appreciating about his films is just these uh, interpretations that you can go like three or four or five different ways with them. And I know when he go like this is going way back when uh, uh, Dave and Becky you were talking about the uh, his choice of camera movements and what he chose to film and what what he chose to look at. Um, he made a big effort to make this a movie about things that no one else films. So he wanted to talk about these moments of like, you know, when someone asks you how your day was, usually you tell them about the things you did. Like, you know, I, I did the groceries and I washed the car and I took the dog for a walk. You don't tell like I spent three minutes staring at how the rain was falling down the window. Yeah, he, no one talks about that. So he wanted uh-huh. to make an effort to show those moments of things that we do occupy ourselves with, but we don't share with other people. And I found I that... always talk about when I look at the world through a, a bouncy ball. I don't know about you guys. I'm rubbing my eye with a ring right now. Yes, we yes. Speak. We all follow your Twitter feed. We know your obsession with your bouncy ball. Uh, no, but uh... by, the, by the way, the ring thing, I had to Google it. Because even in the commentary, they're just like, I don't know why she does this. Rubbing it's a gold like a sty, ring right? is to remove a sty. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because her eyes are red when she has those moments. Like it's the, yep. the lid is really red. And I was like, it's oh. probably also red because the actress was probably rubbing a gold ring over her eye dirty <laughs> multiple gold times. Ring. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that is to remove a sty, oh. which is interesting because they both have the same thing. They both have a sty on the same eye. Oh, they both. They both are they, both they are both left-handed. Googled it. Yeah. They both, they both are left-handed. Both they both the have the same, same stuff in their purse. They both have that ball. They both do that ring. Yeah. Um, what do you there's... guys? What do you guys think of these characters of Ver- Ver- Veronica and Veronique? Uh, like, just as kind of people, like their their personalities. What What do you guys think of the the contrast, but also just kind of the way that they're portrayed here, Becky? I think I think they're amazing. Like I love how I love all this the little things they do, like the ball, the little ball they carry around and all the sensory and tactile things they do. I think they're very, very they seem uh just they both seem romantic. I love how they how what they love is is through art, through singing, um, through teaching music. I think that that's extraordinary. Um I think they both seem very warm. Um, people, they don't seem uh, standoffish. I love that. Um, I know, I just, I think it's interesting that one of them seems a little bit more sentimental than the other one. And the other one seems more like reflective. Um, and I like that. I, I just, I think that they are unique 
individuals, but they're also so connected through just little tiny things that, you know, like uh, that make life worth living. Like, I love that. I just think it's so adorable that they each carry this ball and one likes to look. I just thought it was the cutest thing ever when the Polish Veronique looked at the ball, looked at the world upside down through the ball, and then he found out the other one still had one. I just think that's just makes them just unique, uh, sweet, uh, warm individuals. And I, I think I was more drawn to them because of that. I, I, I love finding out weird and idiosyncrasies of, of people I know. Um, and I like sharing it. So I think if I had a ball and I looked at it through the world, I probably would tweet about it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I, you know, it, it's funny because when I first saw this movie, I felt exactly the same way where I, I just, I felt like they were, uh, just really people that, you know, it would just be wonderful to be in their presence. And I don't mean that in like a, she's a beautiful woman way. Like there's, there's something very, uh, authentic and, and, and warm, as you say about her. And then what the first time I watched it for the, for this podcast, I watched it twice. And the first time I watched it, I kind of like just, she graded on me sort of constantly through the movie and I kept trying to figure out why and then I think what I realized uh as I as the movie was kind of coming to a close and then as I watched the movie again a second time where I started to feel those same positive um feelings towards her um was that I feel like this character has had a great influence on female depictions of female characters uh since this movie was made um, and maybe it doesn't come specifically from this movie, but from move some from this movie and similar movies. Um, and those characters are kind of insufferable. And, you know, I think like the probably the best example of that is Amelie, where it just it feels so contrived. And I think, you know, I, the most famous uh, term for this is the manic pixie dream girl uh, phrase. Like, I feel like she's a bit of a precursor to that. And I was, I realized a little bit I, that I was kind of holding her to task for portrayals of women that I don't like since then, <laughs> not for her own personality. Because it's I, not I her fault. She's not a role yeah, model. I don't, <laughs> think she's, I don't think she's going to the extremes that those characters go to. But in a moment like when she hits the ball off the ceiling and like the plaster comes down and she like looks up at it like the rain. That's actually like a really beautiful moment, and it's but also maybe kind of maybe funny. she wouldn't have died if she didn't inhale all that plaster. Yes, I know well, that's kind of funny because it lead paint like it's it bad. feels really like a like a Polish moment, right? Yeah, Where it's just like they can't even hit a ball against the ceiling without the ceiling coming down. But but uh, but I feel like in a movie like ten years later, I don't know, she'd be like doing a little dance as the stuff came down to some indie rock song and it would just be really awful. Well, you know, you know that I mean? like the mid 2000s American remake would be centering yeah. on like the main character would be the puppeteer that met her in Poland and then meets her again <laughs> in France. Yes. And oh. I think I think that's what's really terrible about that manic pixie dream girl stereotype. It's not so much the woman living for herself. It's this is the man's idea of what a woman should oh, totally. Be. Yeah. No, no, it's it's very much that it's it's from a, the male perspective that yeah. that those characters are created and I think that they come across. And there is some of that here. I mean, there is very the sexuality is very frank in this movie and that was surprising to me just because 
there have been sex scenes in Kieślowski movies before, but they're usually pretty dire and just like not de- mm. like very depressing. <laughs> and so <laughs> he said, this, "I'm going to France." Well, I think that is part of it, though. Don't you yeah. think? I mean, I think to me, like he he was like, "Well, I guess this movie is being financed by Europe. I need to make like a European art house movie." It... But it, it never the, the 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 sexuality in the movie never feels terribly exploitative though. It feels a little bit more no. sensual, it which is. I think it's is sensual. a hard thing. It's very thing. earthy, I think. Yeah, a hard yeah. thing to actually achieve without seeming like you're like you have a seventies right. bass playing in the background. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> where it's uh, rare, it's rare to pull... so shows up. It's yeah. rare to pull off. It's rare to pull off innocence and also yeah. have that like frank sexual, uh, you know, and the fact that she's sharing her sexual stories with her aunt which i'm not you know i don't know if that's something (laughs) i don't think i'd ever tell anyone in my family about any of my sexual exploits but that's because that's my (laughs) family but uh you know just that even when describing that stuff it's still everything still feels like it's coming from a a pure soul who's just relishing experiencing things and going back to what you were asking earlier matt like what was what are your characterization differences I always feel like Veronica, uh, Polish Veronica, is careless. Like she's just slapping through puddles without a care. Like she could avoid. Like as a as a dad of kids, you have your puddle alert on when they have like regular shoes on, <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, you had every opportunity to walk on the other side of that goddamn street, and you walked right <laughs> through the puddle, and then you walk through another puddle a couple of minutes later. I'm so frustrated with you. And she has that careless attitude, the fact that she is just walking through puddles. She is just standing in the rain getting soaked while singing while everyone else is taking shelter to the point where she has a mini heart attack on the side of the road. And instead of doing something about it, um, you know, she I mean, maybe she forgot after being flashed by that old man. She just kind of like a heart attack. I forgot all about that. (laughs) That's worse than a heart attack. (laughs) <laughs> this it, she does have this weird childlike naivety and i i wonder like is that the reason veronique got into working with kids huh? who knows mm. a little, little little connective tissue there <laughs> well i mean i think singing for in someone else's audition is pretty is a pretty apt metaphor for somebody who's mm. just completely careless the, in the last time that I was watching it, for a brief moment, I thought, wait a second, is she just being a show-off? Is that why she's singing in the rain? Is that why she's singing at this audition? But she's so childlike everywhere yeah. else. It's that she just doesn't know no, any she's better. She's just so excited, she's just, totally. She's just yeah. so full yeah. of joy she's that the music the is flowing through her. Yeah. And again, tough thing to, to portray, because it easily could just be like, look at, this, uh, look at this lady that just wants to show off how much she can sing. Yeah, it could easily be Natalie right. Portman in Garden State. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I loved that about her, and and um, I I thought and when I saw her singing and and when it was raining and everyone was going away, it's just she just loves life so much, and this is something she loves singing so much that she just is like, oh my god, how amazing that it's raining. And I I know it's childlike, but I love stuff like that. And but all of a sudden she's so wrapped up in her own world that when that Polish statue is being, you know, it's just it, this movie. You know, obviously we said took place after the fall of communism, and that they're taking down that statue she's just like not like oh this is so great she's just like runs right by it it's just something that's happening peripherally she's so she is so very self-involved and um i don't like the self-involved part but i like how she's just like really just like really embracing life and liking the tactile things of the rain falling on her and 
being with her, just really willing to like have sex in the street. And the guy's like, hey, maybe we should go somewhere else to do this. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, it's careless, but it's also, I think, endearing. Mm. And I just want to defend Amelie because I don't want this episode to go with like, <laughs> a bunch of guys oh, talking about I, how dude, stuff I, I love Amelie. I love okay. Amelie. I'm not in Matt's camp. <laughs> <laughs> My first inclination was that your comparison to Amelie was going to be the comparison about her um, tracking clues to meet someone, because oh, that's definitely. what I thought. That's, no, I think one hundred percent Amelie is a straight up rip off of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so like, much more like imaginative in the totally. fact that then she like I was thinking, oh my gosh, I thought we were thinking how romantic this guy's leaving her clues, but she's the yeah. one that left the guy clues mm -hmm. and then they were just so yeah. meant for each other and I love that stuff. Um but I also the fact that if like she when she met this guy in this movie, he was like the fact that he was like, I don't know, like he was just manipulating her. Like there's like I don't know why I did this. It wasn't because he had this um, um, love for her or this connection with her and that that's as a girl just like completely devastating to, to have to think that you're going to meet the love of your life like this could be the one and he understands me and I feel like you get that from Amelie um but uh I thought I did see the obviously the the, the inspiration there um I didn't see it as a ripoff but I see that you that I, that people could perceive it that way but I just wanted to defend Amelie because I know <laughs> I should say like I, just, I don't hate I don't hate I that movie I I I I think it hasn't aged as well as it could have. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there. So, you know, I thought I'd be cutesy, speaking of Manic Pixie uh, podcast hosts, and um, uh, have you guys on, because this movie, I, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a clear Bergman influence in the Decalogue. I think uh, Kieślowski has mentioned Bergman as, as one of his favorite filmmakers, one of the filmmakers that he feels like is able to kind of most accurately um, capture uh, or express themselves through purely through cinema. Um, and I do feel like there is uh, a, lo a lot of persona in this movie, even though it is very different. Um, and I guess I just generally, because I, I planted that seed in your brains, I'm, I'm just kind of curious if you guys agree with that and kind of how that played out as you were watching the film so for me I, I mean i think that they're incredibly different but dealing with very similar again same but different uh and you you put it here in, in the notes that, that we're looking at and i think that you and i probably based on what you're writing here have a very similar uh read on persona whereas double life of veronique is the story of two women almost that share the same soul that are the same person Whereas uh, Persona, in my mind, the way I see it, is two people or two souls that share the same person instead. Where, uh, to me, spoiler alert, I, I believe that the, the, the reading of Persona, or one of the ways you can look at it, and my preferred way of looking at Persona, is that Elizabeth Vogler and Alma, whose last name I cannot remember, are really the same person, and that's right. just a character that she is trapped playing, almost like a split personality. The reason she has no voice is because she has become lost in this character, and she has been sent to this countryside uh, beach beachfront house to try to heal herself and become herself again, and it's this character that she is stuck playing and herself trying to work out their qualms, which is why she cannot speak. The character speaks for her. And this is obviously two people that have never met, that share a same soul in a sense, that are learning about each other 
as they go about life. I think that is a beautiful, beautiful summation of the difference between the two and how they're also similar. What do you think, Becky? I mean, there's so many different ways you can you can perceive persona. I like, uh, you know, I I think that's a that's a great interpretation. I like how Dave per- interprets it, and I think that when I first saw Persona, that that was my first Bergman film. I saw it 19 years ago. It totally blew my doors off. It was 84 minutes and just flew by, and everything about it, from the dreamlike prologue through the amazing dialogue throughout the film to the acting. I just thought it was just unlike anything I've ever seen, but it obviously isn't reflective of Bergman's work. Um, it's very dreamlike, just kind of like cries and whispers. So I try, I try not to, inter- uh, I try not to uh, recommend that film as a first Bergman film, even though it was my first Bergman film only because I don't, I think if someone can get a different, um, uh, idea of what Bergman is about. Um, but I just, I, I think that film is, is amazing. Uh, the two, the two women, what's interesting is like, uh, Peter Cowie, who is sort of a Bergman historian, you know, he perceives it that they're look that they're sort of um, that they're doubles, that one they're one half of each other's psyche, that they're divided into, and each is the missing half of each other. And what's interesting is Alma, which I don't think she does have a last name. I think she's just sister Alma or Alma. I don't know if she ever says her last name in the film, but uh, Alma it's because means... she's not real. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, in a in a bunch of different languages, it's 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 really means soul. And um, I know that Bergman really uh, was interested in the Switzerland, uh, the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, and he he identified the persona as the outer mask, which which is what you show everyone, and that the Alma, which is another word for soul, and I said in a bunch of languages, is is what your inner soul is, and and that's I think why he named her. Um, Bibi's character is Alma because she is sort of supposed to be the soul. I think when Bergman describes the film too, it's like as if two characters who are separate end up their personalities sort of intermingle at the end. I think that's a lot of mm-hmm. times my interpretation of it. But he obviously had he the fact that he named Alma's character after the soul. He had the interpretations of what he wanted it to be, but and he didn't explain it to his his actors either what it was about. Um, but I I think it's it's just an extraordinary. Uh, piece of cinema um, just from the way it looks and what it is but I do think it has parallels with Double Life of Veronique if you do want to think of them as the same person um, and 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 um, that they're very connected to each other and even the fact of when Bibi says to Leave's character she says you know what we look so alike that I think if I wanted to I could be you so um, you know they, they, they say similar things so I just definitely think there's a lot of comparisons sorry I just like totally just talked for like four minutes <laughs> i no, feel like it no. just like just erupted a dissertation on persona no that's all really no, good it's fascinating about persona and i, I think the uh, in particular the stuff about kind of how he came up with the concept is a little bit what i want to get at uh, you know kishlovsky in his interview said that um that he he felt like the this needed to be about women that uh men were unable to express their or be in touch with their deeper uh, feelings or uh, soul, if you want to call it that, in the way that women were. Um, and the fact that that through the process of coming up with the concept that Bergman came up with, that he developed it, and part of it was that he saw these two actresses, right? It was at them in particular and felt like they looked similar and that kind of sparked a little bit of the idea, mm-hmm. I believe. And so I think 
um, that aspect of it is interesting to me as well, just because these these are both movies made um, by men uh, about focused on these two women and their um, interactions and whether those interactions are through the kind of dialogue driven exchanges that you were talking about or a deeper spiritual connection. It's uh, there is, I think, uh, sort of more uh, complex layering because you're not only did he create these characters, but he there's also a mysteriousness with which they're being watched that I think makes the movies feel even more um, mystical because there is a little bit of this like, um, what are these characters that I created doing because I can't a ever fully understand them because they are, they, you know, they have two X chromosomes instead of the XY. I mean, or obviously Alma and Elizabeth and Persona are like, are traveling sort of towards each other and their personalities merge. I, I think that's another way yeah. to look at it too, but I think that's sort of, it's, it's really very, very similar to the double life of Veronique. I mean, if you think about that, one dies and the other one um, decides to take a different route because of the other one, their, their personalities do merge. And the fact that they see each other in that one moment at the beginning um, is, is uh, really profound. I think both of these films are profound. So um, it's just, they're very fascinating, very different films, but um, they, I, the double um, is a great parallel between them. And I, I, I was so honored that you guys asked me to come on to talk about sort of the comparisons. Another little connective piece I can say between the two. In Persona, you have one character who doesn't speak, the other who does. In this, you have one character who is dubbed and the other is speaking oh, their that, native language. That's true. We haven't even mentioned that. Yeah. Irene Despite Jacob, the fact that Irene Jacob, yeah. she learned Polish, but had too strong of an accent. Well, but I, I think it still had value that she learned Polish because then she oh, could yeah. speak the speak the words without, um, you know, so the, the, the dub could line up with her with her mouth moving. Um, yeah. But that's pretty amazing. I could not learn yeah. Polish for a movie. I couldn't learn Polish for my life. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so yeah, so the impressive. sequel, The Double Life of Matt Gasteyer, is not coming out anytime soon. Right, exactly. Although I will say, like to my credit, she's Swiss, and they just know all languages somehow. This it's is true. Like, <laughs> it's like a natural ha a gift that they have. Um, yeah. No, I I, I think um, the I mean the other thing about the two films to me is that I think that they are very indicative of their respective periods of art house cinema in Europe. Mm. Um, you know, the, this movie uh, feels so much uh, of a piece with a lot of the work that surrounded it, both in terms of its open-ended questions, um, but also um, the frank sexuality of it and the kind of adult themes that it is exploring that, um, you know, at that point in time, and we're kind of living through this a little bit again here like w coming out of the 80s in the u.s was so dominated by blockbusters and star-driven multi-million dollar vehicles that were for everybody and um i think persona was capturing a lot of the uh well e even just the fact that he referenced the vietnam war in his film which was kind of surprising for a bird mm -hmm. movie and um and then just the the incredible 
uh, frank sexuality and experimental uh, editing styles, particularly in that beginning montage that you mentioned. Um, these are works that kind of deviate uh, from what the each of these directors was known for, but still speak to a lot of the same themes that they'd been exploring and that um, filmmakers around them were exploring in a way that makes it feel like they were really aware of, you know, what was going on in the zeitgeist uh, to a certain degree. And I th so I think it's interesting to, uh, for, for each of those films to kind of represent their era in that capacity. And for the directors to kind of represent that era as well. Like when you think about in terms of uh, who represents that type of cinema at that time, you think of Bergman, you think of Kieslowski, like you, yeah. you know, there's no other, you know, when you think of nineties art house cinema, I don't think there's many more people besides him that I think about. Um, no, for sure. I think that's, yeah, it's, you could tell there, there is that sense that, you know, uh, that beautiful uh, fueling off of one another to be able to do their work, you know, seeing, seeing someone else's work and kind of uh, dovetailing off and into your own story. And then even from this movie on to other movies that kind of use similar plot elements or, or different themes to kind of make their own work. Um, it's uh it's important. That's how, that's the best way that art works is in that, uh, in that sense of creating off of, uh, off of something, nothing comes from nothing and, uh, building off of each other's work is just keeps on, uh, making, uh, projects sometimes can be derivative, but sometimes can just be absolutely magical. Yeah. You know, uh, Bergman, <clears throat> th this is interesting that he does show the Vietnam war in this, uh, not the Viet, uh, yeah, that he shows it here because, in shame, he was criticized for being like when he just picked at war, he, he sort of um, didn't ascribe a blame to any nation or party. And a lot of people yeah. criticized him for that and said that um, that he he did neutrality at a time when opinion was running, you know, when people were so upset about America's Vietnam War and why wasn't he doing that? But I love the fact that it was you there there was a neutrality about it. And he really wanted to go through the path of that war was chaos and confusing. And so this film is chaotic and confusing. But it is interesting that later he did this um that he did show the Buddhist monk um, and the Jews being rounded up in Warsaw in this film. And I think he perceives it as that he once said that the reality we experience today is as absurd as um, our dreams. It's just as absurd and horrible as our dreams. Mm. And a lot of people that research Bergman know that he had really vivid, ama amazing dreams. And so some of the stuff that he put in persona is stuff that he dreamed up as well, that he actually dreamed. But I think for him, he wanted to put it in there as like, wow, the stuff the, the horrible stuff we dream about is, 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 is really just as horrible as reality. And he, I think he wanted to put that in and have Alma, I mean, uh, Elizabeth's care, leaves character, Elizabeth be affected by seeing the Buddhist monk and then the Warsaw images. It, it's, it's fascinating that he did that. Um, considering he is very considered very, uh, neutral and doesn't, doesn't like yeah. to get political with any of his films. And that lines up so well with Kieślowski as well. I mean, uh, one of the films that we've covered on here is A Short Working Day, which is a movie that uh, was made from the perspective of a government official uh, who is dealing with a kind of revolt in a small town from the people uh, at a time when solidarity was happening, which most people were thinking, like, why would you make a movie from the perspective of these people that, it, that are 
are tamping da tamping down on our freedoms uh, at this moment. Um, and I think you know he was fascinated by the uh, the the various different perspectives that could come out of that, and 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 much more concerned. I think both filmmakers were with uh, with the inner life and with kind of trying to understand people and to understand how to make a connection um, between them. And I, I think, you know, especially as we move into these last four films that have all female protagonists, um, the, the comparison will become even more apparent um, because uh, they, they were uh, very similar directors in kind of what they wanted to tackle uh, and, and look at in, in kind of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And but Bergman too, if you know, uh, you know, he was so obsessed with religion and God, and he was no longer obsessed with religion because he stopped believing in God right around after Winter Light came out. So it is interesting that these are the first films, um, really around silence, is, and is when he stopped believing in God. So all these women of persona and Hour of the Wolf, those are just like a whole entry into his filmography that's different because he's no longer. He always explores and demons and and fighting what he's feeling on screen, and now he's dealing with with war and and an experimental film and and dealing with um just a whole different perspective of, of what he was experiencing in life now because he's no longer so obsessed with god is really cool too yeah i think that's a i think that's an excellent segue to talk about we've touched upon it a little bit but the the idea of spirituality in this film and whether yeah. or not it's you know how catholic this is or is it, you know, is it a confirmation or is it a dialogue with religion in regards to that? Uh, what do you, what do you think about that, Dave? So I am not Catholic. Um, <laughs> I, I was raised Protestant. So t to me, I don't know, it doesn't strike me as being terribly Christianity based in terms of spirituality. I don't know, it kind of feels a little bit more in the mysticism realm of things, the magical realism almost. Um, but I guess you could say that this movie speaks in the uh, in favor for the idea of a soul, which obviously leads some credence to the idea of there being some God. It's not atheistic in that sense. It, it does kind of have this feeling of life after death, even if that life is being lived by someone else. We still move on in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting question because it it's the one thing in the movie that I think if you think, oh, there must be some rational explanation for these two characters uh, having this connection, um, the whole thing falls apart. It's it, it's basically impossible for that to be the case. So it's like one of the few uh, questions or, or aspects of this movie that is entirely not open-ended. And so it's more about what, that connection means than about whether there is or isn't that connection um which is which i you know as it as somebody who is an atheist like i'm totally okay with that because i think like these questions don't necessarily have to stop at do you think that this is real do you think that that this uh this connection between these two people uh represents a soul and are do souls really exist because i think that deeper conversation of a soul is what it means to be human what it means to interact with other humans and and you know what what you kind of get out of life kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation like it, 
what is she living for? Um, I think those questions can still be explored within a spiritual and religious context without them necessarily leading to spiritual and religious answers. And so, you know, maybe that's just me uh, excusing it away so I get to watch the awesome double life of Veronique. But in, <laughs> I guess that's just my ration rationalization of being of, uh, you know, taking this movie in and, and uh, feeling like a there's a, a deeper connection with what it's talking about. I think in general, like uh, when we watch film and, and what's one I love about film is that uh, however you perceive movies, it's really a basis of like really how you perceive life and like your own perspectives. Yeah. Like if somebody, if somebody, you know, close to you died because they had a heart failure or so, there are some, there are certain things that have happened and you see that in, when you watch a movie of a character actually experiencing something that you've been through, you obviously feel more connected to it than, than otherwise. And also films obviously able to give you um, perspectives that you would never experience before, like not knowing what it's like to live in another country or knowing what it's like to be poor or all these other things are amazing too. But um, you know, I was, I was brought up Catholic. My daughter's going to Catholic school now. Um, I, but I didn't see this film through a Catholic lens at all. Like I, I like the spiritual part of it. I did see a spiritual part of it, and um, I like, and I, I also liked how it explored chance versus fate versus free will. I thought that was uh, amazing and profound as well. But I, I, in no way, when I watched it, I was thinking of Catholic values or anything like that. Mm, and I'm yeah. sort of non-practicing but i was I definitely raised that way and my husband like his whole life is too um but uh but yeah i think it's all how you what your own upbringing is what you and what you perceive when you watch things if something is not you may that that's it, it's not so overt that that would be something you would think of and i don't think it's essential to you know understanding it or 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 appreciating it yeah completely i think that the spiritual aspect of it it feels more like a manifestation of energies and connectivity between all of people. You can almost go back to the Jungian philosophy of kind of like how we all share uh, a subconscious, yeah. you know, and that these two people are so intertwined and connected in terms of uh, who they are and how they, how they, how they are being and that they're just, you know, right, right together in terms of all of their, their thoughts and their ideas. And they're just there, that joy that they have by feeling a connection. And I think that's the most important part is there's that sense of like, I don't feel alone in this world anymore. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, a partner. Um, it's just this idea that somewhere out there, there is other people that have that same feeling as me. And I don't, you know, that, that sense. Cause when she feels the great loss, when Ver Veronique feels the, the loss of ha she doesn't know what it is, but she just feels an emptiness. And I think at some point it, when you are questioning religion or questioning faith, you do have that sense when you grow up, you know, I grew up Catholic and, uh, when there's that moment where you kind of start doubting everything, and I had, the, you know, I had that moment and I still I'm, I'm non-practicing and I'm pretty much into the, you know, agnostic area of things at this point. And you have that sense of when you're told all your life this one thing and then you realize that that may not be the truth. 
there's an emptiness that happens and it's almost that it's almost like he's talking about these things uh not in dogmatic terms but in just kind of like general universal terms like that emptiness you feel when your world has changed a bit and uh i really appreciated that because she does have that moment where she you know one feels connected to something finally and then is just joyous and expressing it through her love of music and and the other one all of a sudden feels like there's a loss and so she quits things it's almost kind of like a depression you know as much as she is a uh, happy and smiling and she does go through a series of moments where she gives up on this you know kind of changes her career path into teaching which I know we've talked a few times about it, about, uh, you know, whether that is fulfilling for her or not. And to me, it's sometimes it doesn't feel that way, the way she's mm-hmm. always looking out the window when she's in class with them. Or mm-hmm. she doesn't seem to engage with them the way that I would expect a teacher who's really enjoying yeah. herself. Um, you know, it's that moment where she finally connects with the marionette and she sees the beauty that can happen in art, but a different art form than music. Um, where she kind of wants to connect to that mystery as well. And I just, it's it's those ideas that, you know, these spiritual ideas that uh, are in all these religions, and he's universalizing them and turning them away from just being so much about God and more about this idea of connection to humanity, yeah. which I find very, very, very moving. He, he tells this uh, story in Kieślowski on Kieślowski about the marionette uh, puppeteer, Bruce Schwartz, who he found uh, through a random video that he watched on TV. The Muppet. And, uh, yeah, and he, came, uh, he contacted the, this guy, he tracked him down, and he had actually stopped uh, working with marionettes uh, because he couldn't make a living at it. And... Uh, he can he Kieślowski sent him the script and he agreed to um, do this performance and he was he says that he was very nervous beforehand because he had never performed in front of kids before that his performances had always been for adults and uh, typically only about 40 or 50 uh, people and and here he was being filmed uh, doing a performance in front of children uh, and about 200 people were in the audience, 200 kids. And he describes this performance and it, it lasted, I guess, about 10 minutes in real life. And there were three or four uh, times that they did it and uh, how enraptured the children were. And afterwards they came up to him and asked him questions about the story. They fully understood the whole story, even though there were no words in it. Wow. Um, and, and, this story being told just like i i found it so emotional it was such a beautiful Mm. story about this guy who had given up this thing that he was so passionate about and to be able to make this connection with kids was just it's such an amazing thing and and to me i wanted to tell that story on this show because i think it's uh, a beautiful example of the kind of connections that I think this movie is reaching for that that there is this sense that you know throughout the the film these two women are are trying to make these connections with people um, partially because they feel this connection deeply with each other but I think we all feel that um, with people or we, and we all at least hope we feel that um, in in situations uh, in every situation that we that we enter into I think 
and you know the years have maybe worn us down uh, <laughs> and the years of disappointments um, those those dates that show up that uh, that turn out to be uh, less than uh, perfect um, but I think the whole point of, of continuing to live is uh, is that we're we're still searching for more of those connections. Uh, sorry that that ended up being sappier than I hoped. Oh no! Oh, no, I loved it. Lovely. <laughs> um, the the last thing that I wanted to talk about was just the the added on Miramax ending uh, to the American mm-hmm. version. I don't know if uh, everybody watched that but it seemed just completely useless and i'm pointless as to why it was ever included or why 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 harvey weinstein even cared enough for him to go to the trouble at this point we all know it's about power for harvey weinstein so getting him to change his ending means he wins even if what they added was of no value or consequence i think I think in the uh, in the uh, Prisoner uh, interview, he talks about how they like him and Kishlowski like laugh and said, "All right, let's just throw something together." And he wrote like you know the music he wrote for it was like a piece he had already written for something else, and they laughed and they you know they just recorded ADR of people saying uh, you know Dad, <laughs> you know, and they were <laughs> they thought it was hilarious because it was so unnecessary, but it was something that you know. Yeah. he wanted and if it meant that it was getting distributed in the United States it was more important to reach people than it was to care about an ending that already was you know very vague and open ended it's still vague and open ended i think did he actually go back and film that stuff or no, was it just he, existing he, footage he had footage they just recorded yeah. a dialogue for it even more pointless like uh-huh. this is what i think it should be this this and this like okay well i got the footage if you really want it, here you go. Well, it's like he said. He goes, he goes. Well, I trusted my audience to understand that this is the tree. That's his, her dad's house, and here's a picture of her dad realizing that she's home. That connection that they have. I, we got to drive the yeah. point home by also having them <laughs> see each other and hug. Like, yeah, uh, okay, sure. Turn to the camera. Weinstein was wasn't just like, and now put it in English. Well, I'm surprised. Right. Yeah, end with another sex scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the so the other thing about... The, then my character comes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm showering, and they're having um, sex on the bed. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the other thing about this ending is that um, he originally was influenced, I guess, by Clue the movie and wanted to have <laughs> um, 17, a, a different ending for the movie for, for each movie theater that it was playing in. Um, I think that's a pretty cool idea. I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah. probably now he could have gotten away with it, right? Oh, Did, yeah. Like digital distribution and digital editing. They probably, like, I, I think it's it's surprising to me actually that more people uh, don't do that. That there's not, you know, uh, that that sort of an approach. I know Terrence Malick for the Tree of Life Criterion initially uh, was wondering if they could if 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 they could create a disc that was essentially on random where you would have different scenes happening at different times um depending on which time you played the disc uh the technology is not there for that unfortunately but yeah um it's it's an interesting concept to think of film as like a living thing as opposed to just a a set in stone work of art and it that that was just the the ending was that idea but he originally 
for the whole entire picture. He shot yeah. so much extra footage because he wanted to uh, do this concept of this idea of a handmade film that each film in each theater was going to have a different feeling, like longer scenes or scenes missing. or So everyone was feeling this sense of handmade and not something that is mass-produced. Like you're getting an individual experience that is different from everyone else's that also later makes you question what you saw because you're seeing right, a different version of it. because you see it again. It. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a fascinating... Yeah, I'm very surprised as well. But I think, you know, people don't like to take risks. Yeah. Can, can I just ask, would that have added 18 additional episodes of the complete Kislowski? No, we would, we would, have, we would have filmed we would have filmed 10, 10 different endings to this episode. Yeah, <laughs> it would be we were this is going to go on for another 25 hours. I'm going to have enough enough footage to. Uh... <laughs> um, is there anything else that uh, that we haven't touched on that that you guys wanted to mention about the double life of Veronique? I just want to talk about how beautiful and unique the colors are Mm -hmm. in the film, how it's kind of like bathed in a golden light, but also this weird green glow that just inhabits everything as well, to the point where it almost feels as though they put green film on the windows of houses just to make the the world just this different, otherworldly hue to it. I just find it fascinating, especially that greenness. It's so prevalent throughout it's almost hard to say that it represents one thing or another because it is so constant and i know that the the, the kind of golden color hue was experimented on in uh the was it decalogue six short film about killing yeah, five mm-hmm. yeah. yeah five i always get the order of those things confused but that that also has kind of like that that yellowish tint to it well it's and, funny because it looks horrible in that but it's yeah. gorgeous in this. It looks grungy a, in that. Yeah, one. it's it's a different it's a different yeah, filter. Different, he had a new filter yeah. made for yeah. this. Uh, he had a special filter made for this movie. Different different gradations of that color, but that idea that he wanted everything to be. Uh, I think uh, going back to what you were talking about way earlier about the uh, the camera work. Uh, one of the things that Kieślowski does different from how it is here in the United States is. Um, from the concept, he hires a he hires a cinematographer, and from like every stage of script development, he's talking to both the the composer and the and the cinematographer about what they can do. And from the from the jump, they were working on how to how to make Poland and Paris connect because Paris is such a unique city, and it has such a uh, a vibrancy that doesn't exist to them in Poland where everything is so gray and yeah. drab and the idea of like provincial versus uh, versus uh, city and just all these concepts. And that was the way is this uh, is this golden color, this kind of like magical world that they both coexist in. And that uh, that filter with the film stock they use is what created that those uh greens like they the greens were unexpected uh, from what i remember really? reading about the gold was what they were going for but the way it reacted to the film it really blossomed the green uh the green layer of the film uh, a lot stronger than they expected huh. and they loved it they loved the effect of it um it almost seems like they were going more for green it's like oh it's no, golden it's, now. Yeah. Supposed to, it's supposed to be gold they're going for in yeah. the greens it ended up affecting the shadows and a lot of the highlights look at uh, that the, that is fancy with the daylight, daylight. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's a, it's a, it, like his his work. This is the movie that got uh, uh, Slavomir Idziak. He ended up getting a uh, uh, work on uh, Black Hawk Down because of this movie. Well, um, and Blue too. As and well, Blue, right? yeah, yeah. yeah he just shot Blue as well. Just his work is just uh, is really strong. Like it's very yeah. strong. So. So yeah, so a lot of these, you know, a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted in terms of what I, uh, the small moments, like that was a lot of forethought put into it. And then besides the fact that they shot, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet more, you know, thousands of feet more film than they actually used on top of that. It's, uh, I think, I, I think I was reading that Irina Jacob was just, was stunned she she was like oh we shot a whole different film that this is what this is nothing mm. like what i thought it was going to be because there's like many scenes that just didn't even make it i mean i think one of the one of the weaknesses that i mentioned earlier of this is is this little storyline that gets picked up and yeah. dropped off really fast about a, a divorce a divorce yeah 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 it's it's it uh, he he said that the reason that he included those scenes was to sort of ground the character a little bit more. I personally I don't feel like it really needed it. I I think it it kind no. of start starts out of nowhere and ends up kind of nowhere a yeah. little bit. Mm-hmm. I I think it's why par- partially why it hasn't really come up organically in our conversation because it's so inorganic in the, the film. The film. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that the the importance was getting her to be friends with that girl so they could talk about right. You know, those the puppeteer. The puppeteer so they didn't pass the bedshell test, but uh uh you know, <laughs> they do, you know, it's that it's just having her world be a little bigger than just herself, which you know, it's a It's such a weird thing though, like will you lie in court and say you slept with my ex-husband? Like, uh, okay, sure, let's go. It also yeah. felt a little bit more like something Veronica would do than yes. Veronique. Maybe you know? Veronique wouldn't have done it until Veronica, Veronica died. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, I, I'm interested in the in the parallel cut because along the lines of kind of, I mean, imagine if 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 at the end of this movie, you know, Veronica dies, or much later in the movie, you know, as Veronica's getting the job. Veronique decides not to be a singer like all of these decisions along the course of there's there's no real indication throughout the movie kind of how much time has passed right I mean there's no way for us to know that for sure uh Veronique uh is all of the stuff in the Veronique section takes place after Veronica dies right yeah Yeah. because it it, the way they edit it makes it implies that for sure because the idea is that um she's sad um in that first scene because veronica has died but that isn't necessarily the case doesn't veronique mention when she's talking about those photos at the end that oh that was taken last summer when i was in poland or at some point but i don't know how how yeah but you also don't know how much time has yeah you don't know how much time has has um has been between those two mm-hmm. moments because uh in the in the audio commentary uh which is really good by the way and insdorf yes. who's who's just uh brilliant um and really insightful um she mentions uh that the scene uh where they where she discovers the double in the picture and they they first have sex to her waking up she wakes up in her in the puppeteer's bed not in there in on her bed 
And so there's no indication of how much time has passed there. It could be a year even um, in between those two moments. And then it seems like throughout the film, there's a bit, it's very negligible kind of how much time has passed, even as the, the puppeteer is sending her stuff, you kind of don't know. Yeah, how I like long that it's right can... after because of, that's why she's that's why she's so sad because yeah. she's, that yeah. person just left her life or she just it's died. Definitely what they're going yeah with this cut, but I feel like you could cut it in a different yeah. way. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. kind of what I'm saying. It is kind of funny. I guess she, we meet her like she has sex and then cries, and then later she cries and then has sex. I guess it's just <laughs> it's a lovely bookend. It's poetry. It it's rhymes. A really lovely bookend. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think a like a more modern telling if we were doing it in modern sensibilities I think uh the screenwriters wouldn't feel uh would feel that they would have to be clever and have it double back on itself so the ending of Veronica's story is the bus scene where she runs into Veronica who is already dead and you know just they would they would make it uh too complicated to be able to be clever and this doesn't concern itself with being clever just like he doesn't concern yeah. himself with a timeline because it's a feeling not a, it's a feeling not a not a not logic which yeah. is he's, uh, he's trying so far away from which is you yeah. know i love um, one additional thing if i yeah. can sneak no, one definitely. more thought um the scene during veronica's funeral uh, we're, we're kind of, after she's died, we're kind of yeah. uh, given some of these very weird, like, uh, fluid shots kind of mm. flowing over people. And then the final shot looking up through, like, the, the glass coffin, basically back up at the sky. Yeah. There's one brief glimpse of, like, the rope. I assume it's the rope lowering her into the ground. But I don't know. I got, like, an umbilical feeling from that. Like, mm. this connectivity as well. I, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts mm. on that because I, I feel as though that was very clearly chosen to be shown. They could have gone without it, but they didn't. Well, I always liked in that shot that she's, you know, because of the earth sky thing, which I I picked up on as well, the distinction that she's going into the earth and she is even having earth poured over her, but she's still looking yeah. up at the sky. You know, that there's, we're, we're, we're joining Veronique, um, but there is still this connection to the outside world, which is where Veronica lives. Um, so that, that was kind of how I looked at that. It was almost like entering a train tunnel, uh, but looking out the back of a train hmm. uh, as you're going in. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. And um, the string connects to all the other string motifs throughout. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And right. I guess, I guess sure. one of the things that, uh, that uh irene wanted to kind of do is a veronica uh her shoes were always untied like that was part of the part of her character that she built into the movie but it just didn't pan out that way so there was going to be more of that yeah he said it was just too long um yeah i do really love that scene of the the matching the shoelace to the ekg Mm. Um, it's a, a very um intense moment um, the one other thing I wanted to mention, actually, now that I think about it, is the woman who was at the re- rehearsal or oh, the, the, the job only, interview. And then the and parent then notices, trap, the Don Knotts, the basically like the witness <laughs> um, that like, you know, it's uh, that she she runs into uh, Veronique in, in the um, in Paris. It just seemed like a another one of those witness kind of things uh, from Kieślowski, like a little 
thing for people to pick up on. It was definitely a grounding. The woman with the hat? Yeah, the woman with the hat that was in the theater who was incredulous that she got the job. And then, yeah. Yeah. Or was she sad because she knew it would be her end? True. Well, they cut the scene where she uh, she uh, pulls a bottle of whiskey out of her pocket and then throws it away and rubs her eyes like, I can't believe that happened. No, yeah, just right. totally kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's a cartoon thing. Um, anyway, <laughs> no, I just I think I think it's important, too, because it as us as audience members, we realize that if we're paying attention and we recognize that, that is the same woman, we're realizing that these are they are not the same person. These are two different people. And she is recognized it as well. Like, it, I think it's, it's important as part of the grounding of the mystery that I'm not trying to pull a trick on you. This is this is real. And we need to focus on this other aspect to it. You know what I mean? It's not yeah, like yeah. We're, we're being clever, but not clever for clever sake. Cause we're trying to build some sort of mystery where we're going to surprise you at the end with, uh, they're actually triplets, right. Which he or almost like did a, like a vertigo reveal where it turns mm-hmm. out that it's really just her, it's just and her again. Wig. Cause yeah. they did almost do that. They, he almost ended the movie with Veronique going back to Poland, but to uh, Warsaw and finding a third version of herself. Right. Right. Wouldn't it make more sense for her to go to a different country, though? That that seems, I don't know, almost lazy. Go to go to go to America, and there's one in New York. Yeah, Veronica not, with that, a, with that a would v. have been the real Harvey Weinstein yeah. ending. Like tack on another hour with the with the New York <laughs> Veronica. Or maybe Burton. she's a Cylon if you're a Battlestar Galactica. Oh, there you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like that. Um, but well, thank you guys so much, Becky and Dave, for for. Uh, coming on and humoring us with our with our um crude persona comparison but um <laughs> but uh talking talking Kishlowski with us it was a uh, it was really awesome it was, really it was a pleasure. awesome i feel like i learned a lot so much too like i'm like god this is such a fascinating episode to listen to your political takes on um east versus west i was west i was like this is really interesting i love this <laughs> so i feel like i learned was, a lot and if this was a taste of what your ep- you and uh, dave's episode on persona is oh, yeah. going to be like then i'm looking forward to Sign that episode yeah. very very we'll quickly. have to do a bergman season just to uh have you guys on for persona. <laughs> oh yeah i would be so sad if you didn't invite us on for a bergman season. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'll only take us about 10 years 60 episodes to, yeah. of that season <laughs> yeah not good not good um so uh travis uh so for 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 becky's benefit uh an explanation here we we rank these movies oh Um, yeah i've i listened to some of your episodes yeah so so. they're gonna ask me to rank i have four to rank you 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 guys you guys well i won't i won't make you rank even the ones that that you have seen i was curious to know it sounds like red is your favorite would you put veronique uh in the second slot Oh, wow. Uh, I think I put blue in the second yeah. slot and then Veronique in the third. Um, but uh, I, I, I just love red and, and I know a lot of people love blue of the most of the, of those three colors. I think I, I think I needed, I think I needed to be manipulated and see that uh, sh- um, a flashback. Yeah. of girl. <laughs> I needed it. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, it, they're both, they're all like extraordinary achievements. Um, but yeah, double life, like I said, I saw more of all of those movies, but I think I really love blue uh, a little bit more. So I think I would put uh, double as third. What about you, Dave? Can I count the Decalogue as one long mm-hmm. movie? Yes, we're doing I'd it. Put the, I'd put the Decalogue as one, then probably blue is two and then double life is three. Sounds nice. good. What do you think, Travis? 
Well, I we we can't we can't do the colors in our in our mix. So right. I think right now if we we haven't done this in a have we done this in a while? Did we do this in the last episode where we put I think the we decalogue? did. I think we did it in the wrap off. All the right. wrap up. But it was just, you know, it was the decalogue was number one. So So right you don't now, have to go through the whole thing. Don't, all right. don't right, go nuts on it, people. Right now the top five <laughs> is uh Blind Chance in five, Camera Buff in four, short film about killing in three. Double life is in two because decalogue it's too powerful a, a thing to yeah. kind of uh to eclipse it right now um of course my my mo- my ideas can change i think there were some things i really i loved about double life but kind of like how um no end or um what was it the calm was it? no no uh how like blind chance kind of uh moved him forward into a new area yeah. and no end moved him into a new area. I think this is his springboard to moving into the next phase of his stuff. Like he Definitely. experimented a lot in here. Some of it worked, some of it didn't work for me. Um, but I think this is, this is an important step up because this gives him the exposure and the opportunity to play out a lot of his uh, more artistic and uh, less, uh, structured ideas to make something a little, a lot more lyrical and beautiful, and I think he he succeeds in that. But I think I have the feeling he's going to you know uh, blow these expectations away into a couple of his next films. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So Decalogue right now is still number one for me. So I, I probably will. Uh... I'll be very similar, but a little different. I think I'm going to put Veronique below a uh, short film about killing. Okay. Uh, that, that one really, really struck me. Um, but this is a, this is a, an exceptional movie and it, it does feel like a huge uh, leap forward uh, for him in terms of kind of just pure, pure ambition. I think what he's reaching for here is, is a much bigger, uh, issue and topic to tackle and i think uh nobody's gonna make a perfect version of this movie um but uh, you know if anybody can get close it's kishlovsky and i think he he did a beautiful job of it um speaking of beautiful jobs uh we get to cover three colors blue on the next episode um you've seen the three colors right i have seen blue and red but okay. it's been a long time. I was a yeah. freshman in college when I saw Blue, and I was forced to write a paper about it. So automatically, <laughs> I didn't like it because it was uh, something <laughs> forced upon me. Um, so, but I'm looking forward to revisiting it. Um, that's the one I've been looking forward to most to kind of re, just just looking at it with fresh eyes, older eyes. Yes, I'm very excited to watch this movie. I'm a little worried though because I have not watched it since I've had children, and I'm worried that it's gonna ruin my year so it's <laughs> but maybe be... without that shot of the kid i'm gonna be like whatever yeah you can divorce I was yourself like, from it. i was just like oh my god because i have i do i have one i have one kid she's five the same age as this as the character in the Oof. film her little girl was five and, and i have a husband so i'm like oh my god this is so par- so much similar to my own life and it's gonna be so devastating and it was but i think it it wasn't as devastating because it felt very I, um, he, there's a, there's sort of a, um, 
because he didn't give you that. And it's, there's just sort of, I I wasn't as connected to it somehow. I think because they didn't give me, I never even saw her face. Like you saw the back of her and you never got to see anything about what she was about. It's, it's harder to get like connected to it, even though like reading on paper and, and knowing what she's going through, of course. But I think if I got even like five minutes with her husband and her daughter, I think I would have been a total disaster. I'm going to be, I like this point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be really interested to, uh, to, to think about that as I, as I watch the movie and as we talk about it next time. So, um, well, thanks again for your guys insight. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. And with that, we're complete for another week.